Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so glad you're with us today. For most of my life, the pursuit of knowledge about death and the greater reality where it happens was considered to be a very eccentric hobby. I practiced law for decades before I published The Fun of Dying in 2010, and then I finally had to come out to the business people who were my clients and explain that during my entire outwardly serious legal career, I had actually been a joyous part-time afterlife researcher. Some of them actually wanted to know more, but most of them said, oh, now about this clause in the contract, they didn't want to hear about it. I didn't lose anyone, but I think I came pretty close. So I especially admire those few young people with very serious careers who have been attracted to this field as I was and who have jumped right in at the height of their serious business and professional careers and done the work and right away trumpeted the truth. I, I admire these people so much. Such courageous folks are few and far between still, but I think they're going to be more and more. And as is true, Bernardo Castro is sort of my my um, idol in this, and he's going to be again on again with us this spring. He's one, but there are other people too. And the person we're going to talk with today is someone who's been here. Actually, this is his fourth time, and he, like Bernardo, is just trying to help the whole world know what the truth is. So I admire you very much, my friend. Mark Gober was a bright young Princeton graduate who was a partner in a Silicon Valley investment bank and strategy firm way back in 2016, and he was exposed to what he calls world-changing science. Indeed it is. So then he did the research, and the result was this terrific 2018 book called An End to Upside-Down Thinking, Dispelling the Myth that the Brain Produces Consciousness, and the Implications for Everyday Life, kind of a long, long title. Two years later came An End to Upside-Down Living, Reorienting Our Consciousness to Live Better and Save the Human Species. Wow, what a title. Mark Gober says that he is trying to get these big ideas a much wider audience, and God bless you in that. He wants to encourage what he calls a much-needed global shift in scientific and existential thinking. Yes. And wow, he really is right about the necessity of our finally making that happen. Mark, welcome. I'm so glad you're with us again today. Well, thank you, Roberta. It's always nice to speak with you. <laughs> we always have fun, don't we? Yes. When you were last with us, you were full of ideas about how you were sort of getting the word out. You'd become very active in the consciousness space, really, and at the highest level. You had launched a podcast called Where Is My Mind? And I recommend it everyone because he interviews some of the hardest to get people, and you seem to make that look easy. You had joined the board of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, or IONS, in Petaluma, California. I will put these um, uh, uh, URLs in the notes for the for the program, but I'll just give it to you now. Um, it's called it, the the uh, URL is ions.com, I believe. Um, and that, as in case you don't know, that is a really venerable institution in the consciousness space. It was founded in 1973 by former Apollo 14 astronaut Dr. Edgar Mitchell. 
You also had joined the board of a new spiritual, I want to hear more about this, a new spiritual education platform and retreat center near Asheville, North Carolina, called the School of Wholeness and Enlightenment. Wow. Its URL is soweglobal.com, S-O-W-E global.com. And all of that sounds so wonderful. But how is it going now? I mean, it's, it's been a while since you've been part of these. How's it going? Well, first of all, thank you for that warm introduction and for giving your audience a summary of what I've been working on. I've enjoyed my uh, participation on both of those boards. IONS has been around for a while, and I think that they're, the science that's been conducted there for the last many decades and over even over the last few years is essential for shifting how we think about the world. So, Absolutely. Um, what I would love to do and, and what I try to do is, is not only to foster the, the existing science, but to try to get the message out about what they do. Because I, I, I considered myself to be somewhat well-educated before I learned about all this stuff in 2016. I, and I had never even heard of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, yes. that it was founded by a former astronaut and that this is a, a venerable institution, like you said. So I think that's um, just like all the research in the space of consciousness and extended consciousness, getting the message out is very important. So um, I've, I've really enjoyed that, my involvement there, and I'm continuing to be very involved. And the School of Wholeness Enlightenment, and Enlightenment is, has not been built yet. So uh, when it is built, and that could take a bit of time, we hope that it will become another forum for spiritual ideas, both scientific and more philosophical, can get out there to the world. So I think both, both places... Uh, in my mind, have a have the ability to make a positive impact, and that's why I'm involved. So, is the School of Wholeness and Enlightenment then raising funds for for a facility, or where where are they in that stage? That that has been the fundraising is all there, and and it's just a matter of actually building the facilities and then getting the word out and and helping to get you know whatever messages that Zoe is promoting out to the world. Well, that's the hard part usually is raising the funds, so good for you. But what the, what is it going to be? Is it like a school? Is it a retreat center? Um, is it um, a research facility? What kind of what kind of beast is it? It is a retreat center, but also an education platform. So, so there hopefully will be an online component to it as well. But it will be a place where people can go and regenerate. Um, physically and mentally, emotionally, uh, but also there will be content there. So speakers can come to SOE, and it's it's a beautiful so plot of land. <laughs> Great. Okay, so you're still active in those things. And t- tell, tell us about your, your podcast. Are you still doing that? We had one season, or we've had one season so far. It was released in 2019 called Where Is My Mind? Yes. And I interviewed many world-leading scientists in these area of consciousness. So as of now, that has not continued. It's eight episodes in the season, and we'll see if if there will be a future season. TBD. Well, it's wonderful because you seem to be able to get some of the the really leading lights in this field to be interested in talking to you. That's a major, major thing, so good for you. Thank you. Do you have any new um, things you're kind of working on now? Well, I have just written another book. Oh, good. Uh, Yeah, in terms of of publication, all that, I don't know the exact details, Uh, but it gets more into my my first book in End Upside Down Thinking looks at the relationship between the brain and consciousness 
And if your listeners have heard my other interviews with you, I, I argue that the brain does not produce consciousness and talk about all the science behind that, yes, uh, yeah. which you, you speak about a lot and you've written about as well. Yes, um, yes. My second book, An End to Upside Down Living, is on how we might live if we accept this idea that consciousness is primary and that we're all interconnected. And in that book, and perhaps we'll discuss some of this today, I give some cautions uh, on the, in the process of living in accordance with that idea because we can be tested in various ways and the spiritual awakening process is, is known for having ups and downs. Um, but what I, I didn't do as much in either of those books is look at the real duality of, of light, dark, good, evil, yes. and how that manifests in the world. So that's what this newest book aspires to do. Wow. Okay. Well, um, we want to let, let me know when you have a pub date, and we will for sure have you on right away, so we can talk about that okay. one too. Thank now you. Let's, I'd like to just briefly recap the two books that you have out because I thought both of them were excellent. They're the kind of thing that people who like seek reality also will be eager to read, and they're very educational in a in a sort of entertaining way. I, I like them very much. The first, of course, as you said, was called An End to Upside-Down Thinking. And you said about that book, if, I'm quoting you, if even one of the anomalous phenomena described in this book is in fact real, then the consciousness's primary framework is a much more suitable picture of reality than is materialism. And if that is true, I love this, then we need to rethink together as a civilization, science, technology, medicine, education, politics, and what it means to be human. Wow. I mean, that's... <laughs> we could spend a whole conversation just unpacking that sentence. I think you're you're right. I mean, it's obvious that consciousness is primary. It's self-evident. The first person that I'm aware of who really made it plain was Max Planck, who is supposed to be such such an idol of, of all the scientists, and yet they ignore the most important thing he said. I think arguably the most important thing said in the entire 20th century was when Max Planck said, we can't get behind consciousness. Mm-hmm. Whatever we do, whatever we research, everything, consciousness is there. He said it was primary. Nothing more important was said in the 20th century. But it's going to probably be another century before people accept that that's true. <laughs> so so talk about, talk about the, this is frustrating for all of us who work in this field, for whom this is all so obvious. And yet there's this unholy alliance between religion which says we own the spiritual stuff when in fact they don't, they don't even try to own it. And, and the, um, the scientists who say, well, everything is material, so we won't investigate anything unless there's matter associated. That's not science. It stopped being science a hundred years ago. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it's, it's ironic that scientists would act in an unscientific manner because science should be about expanding our horizons, acknowledging how little we know and being open to new data. And so what I did in my first book is to expose lots of data that scientists are hypocritically, I think, ignoring. Um, But it's I think I was so drawn to the topic because the ignorance is leading to such major problems around the world. The ignorance in this case is leading to a misunderstanding of our own identity, because if we believe that consciousness just comes out of the brain and that you need brain activity in order for consciousness to exist at all, then it implies that when we die as a body, then there's no consciousness anymore. And there's no possibility that consciousness could be beyond the brain or could be beyond space and time. Mm. When, in fact, there's tons of evidence that all that is true, ranging from not just quantum physics, 
not just philosophical arguments like Dr. Bernardo Castro makes, but psychic phenomena like telepathy and remote viewing and precognition and psychokinesis. Yeah. And then phenomena where consciousness survives bodily death, like a near-death experience or mediumship and after-death communications or children who have memories of a previous life, like the work yeah. done at the University of Virginia. Right. All this together, I mean, for me, like as you said, I, I come from a business background. I learned about a lot of this starting in 2016. And I said, how could it be possible that all this information exists? There's credible science from Princeton, from the Institute of Noetic Sciences, from the CIA, many other places, University of Virginia, and it's being ignored. So, <laughs> it's being ignored. It's being yes. ignored, like it doesn't exist. <laughs> so, so was that, what was it that first got you about this? Because you say you discovered something amazing and that led you into all of this. What was it you discovered or learned? Well, my initial discovery was actually, it didn't feel like a discovery. I was listening to podcasts that weren't related to these topics. They were on health and business. And I heard a, a woman come on a show, her name's Laura Powers, on a health show, talking about her own psychic abilities. And then I listened to her podcast, which is called Healing Powers. And just driving from where I lived in San Francisco down to my office in Silicon Valley, I had a lot of time in the car, so I would listen to those interviews. And I started to hear many anecdotal reports of people who have had experiences of what some would call paranormal phenomena. And the more I listened to independent accounts that seemed to align, I realized something might be happening. And then I looked at the science and said, wait a second, I have to rethink <laughs> my whole life because right. I didn't realize this was true. And so yeah. going back to the, the, what you quoted about uh, from my first book and End Upside Down Thinking, the implications of all this, it's not just a scientific yes. question of brain consciousness. It's how we think about life. It's how we structure society even. So when I talk about the things that, that I'm most interested in, I, I almost feel like no matter what I do uh, from here on out, it all ties back to what I talk about in the first book. That's the most fundamental idea because it gets to the nature of reality. Is, is reality material or is it something related to consciousness? That question is critical. And I think there's overwhelming evidence to suggest that consciousness is, in fact, primary. Yes. No, it, it's um, but one of the reasons we're so certain it's true is that everybody who honestly, freshly investigates it reaches all the same conclusions. Seriously. I mean, mm -hmm. when you and I talk about this, we, we we hadn't really talked about it before I have read your book. But we oh, we know the same things are true, you and I, without having to sort of compare notes and, and see areas where we don't where we overlap and where's where we don't. No, we we overlap in everything. <laughs> you totally, totally get it. And uh, there are so many people now who totally get it. I mean, Craig Hogan is doing a whole wonderful set of books at a whole deeper level. He's sort of our intellectual side, you know, and, and uh, I, I just it's impossible for me to believe that this is going to be a secret for much longer. But what do you think will make it come out? What do you think will make everyone suddenly realize, duh, this is the truth? <laughs> Well, what seems to be the most impactful for people is if they have a direct experience of something, ranging from an intuition that turns out to be exactly right, which can happen to anyone, to something maybe more dramatic like a near-death experience or a psychedelic experience or something in meditation. But I think the near-death experience, above all, seems to really overnight change people where, let's say they have some kind of physiological trauma like cardiac arrest. They are resuscitated and they come back. They were immersed in light. They yep. <laughs> saw a being of light, deceased relatives. They had a life review where they relived events in their life through the other person's perspective and got to feel the love and pain that they inflicted. They come back and say, whoa, I had reality totally wrong. 
I am going to give up my job. In many cases, sometimes they get divorced, change their priorities. So what could, what could actually shift the world in some way? I mean, the, there's an intellectual approach, which has been much more of my approach to look at the data. That requires time, number one, openness, and a willingness to go down that road. So not everyone, is, not everyone will necessarily do that path. So I, I think maybe it's a combination of some people who decide to go down the intellectual path, other people who have experiences themselves. And then I don't, I don't know, maybe there will be, as we elevate in consciousness collectively, those types of experiences will, will become more commonplace. That's right. Yeah, I think that that's actually going to happen. I mean, we're seeing it now with NDEs, and there are so many other kinds of experiences, too. But mm-hmm. it is exciting. This is to watch how much awareness has additional awareness has dawned on people even in the past 10 years really thrills me i i'm impatient of course but um so much has happened it's hard it's hard to be so impatient when you see it actually beginning to happen we just don't know when the the actual light will dawn and i think it's going to be soon but let's tell everybody about your second book um in 2020 you published an end to upside down living we're orienting our consciousness to live better and save the human species. And about this second book, you say, the purpose of this book is to explore with precision where we should set our life's compass. Wow. Okay, what do I mean by should? I mean I'm looking for an orientation that most closely aligns with the true nature of reality. That is so important. In other words, this exercise requires having a perspective on what life is, who and what we are, what matters, and why. So to me, that, that, that is a reason to read this book, because these are very, very big concepts that you're tackling, and I think you did a beautiful job with them in that, in that book. Talk a little about that. Well, thank you. Well, the, the question that I explore is, what is the overall intention of your life? And you just elaborated on what I mean by that. So it's a fundamental question that we all have an answer to probably in some regard. We we have set our compass, the things that we value and our priorities somewhere. And what I seek to do in this book is to say, well, what's the nature of reality? Who and what are we? And based on that, how would we then orient the compass for how we want to live? It's really a basic fundamental question that that has, that we don't maybe think about often. Maybe we have bits and pieces of, of an orientation with regard to a certain circumstance or certain goals that we have in life that are intermediate goals. What I'm talking about is big picture. What is the orientation of one's entire life? What's the overall intention of one's life? And it starts with what we talked about, the primacy of consciousness, because that gets to our own identity. If That's our identities right. are consciousness and not our body, wait a second, then we have to think about life a little differently. And wait, maybe if my consciousness is connected to your consciousness, like as Dr. Kastrup says, we're whirlpools within a stream of consciousness. Yes. That's a metaphor. Then yes. wait, we're interconnected. So what does that mean? And that's what I explore in the book. You say, my research has led me to reason that our collective orientation as a civilization is completely off the mark due to a, due a, due a deep scientific misunderstanding of reality that is so true we you say we aren't just one degree off either we aren't 45 or 90 90 degrees off we're closer to 180 degrees off i absolutely agree with you we're going 180 degrees in the wrong direction Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we're doing that because we trust scientists to be doing something real and true and they are not and have not been you know since uh (laughs) 
since the greats were alive, they have not really done any good science since. And that's why there hasn't been much discovered. I mean, we think it's a big deal to put people on the moon, but have we done that lately? No. We can't do any science lately, and the reason is they've turned it into a belief system. It's akin to a religion. If you don't believe that the only thing that matters is material and nothing else has any relevance, think of how stupid this is. They're, they're telling people, oh, okay, scientists, we need you to solve this problem. We've got this big puddle on the floor. Now you can study the walls and you can study the floor, but do not look up. That's exactly what we're telling scientists now. And that's just how stupid and useless the system actually is. But wait, Ted, tell us what you think. Well, I agree with you. <laughs> I think it's, it sounds like a, a, a scientific issue. The brain versus consciousness, but it yeah. is so much more because this question informs how we think about all of life. When That's we look right. around the room right now and we think about our own minds, the, the, the answers, the way we just we view the world and our lives depends on how we view consciousness. And furthermore, from a scientific or a medical perspective, if we don't regard consciousness as something beyond the body, then we're missing something in all of our equations. That's absolutely right. <laughs> because mo most of science would say that if we were called to call consciousness C, they would say C equals zero because consciousness doesn't affect anything in the physical war world according to the mainstream view. Your mind sure. can't alter physical reality in any way because the mind is just something, a byproduct of things happening inside your skull. When, in fact, as, as we and many others have been arguing, is no consciousness is the basis of reality. That's and therefore, it. to ignore consciousness is going to stifle not only our own development personally, but also stifle science and medicine. Which, which is doing right now, I mean, very effectively, uh, unfortunately. As I said, again, I mean, I challenge them to come up with any new important concept they've developed since they decided that science had to be material. They call it the fundamental scientific dogma. It's materialism. It's or physicalism, as you call it. It's it's anyway. So we, we could blather about this for a while. I, I, I just I just love talking to people who get it. And you are a very hard nosed person who nevertheless are open-minded to the truth and you've got it and, you, and you're doing a wonderful job with it now. You say the overarching belief in separation rather than interconnectivity is leading to misguided priorities and decisions across the globe. In order to develop a precise orientation for our lives, we need to build up to it by clarifying what reality is and what type of living approach logically follows. That's right, but we can't even begin to, to, to get to that very difficult, very important discussion until we first have, have acknowledged the fact that science has been going in the wrong direction and we get them going in the right direction. Personally, I think it's going to take um, a, the development of an easy way for people to communicate with, with those that we used to think were dead. Mm. And that's tough. They're working on it actually very hard in laboratories that are not material. Um, some of the greatest scientists who ever lived are working on those um, devices now, but still we don't have much. We don't have people on this side, I think, who are willing to devote their lives to it. But um, I believe it's going to happen. It'll happen in your lifetime, not in mine. I'll be in the bleacher seats by then, but nonetheless, I'll be very excited. You'll hear me cheering all the way from there. Okay, when I asked you what you wanted to talk about today, you surprised me. You said spiritual awakening. 
But that shouldn't have surprised me, should it? Because what you've discovered is that what what we think of as a spiritual aspect of us, of our ourselves, our minds, those are really the central core part of ourselves. They're the only part of us that are, that's real. They're the only part of us that's eternal. So no wonder you'd be interested in that. Talk about that. Yeah, you, you really nailed my intent without having, I didn't even say it when we communicated before, but you, you understood where I was going with this. Yeah. Which yes. is... Um, that we are we are non-physical. That's our identity, is our consciousness. And yeah. if we combine some of the research that we've talked about in the past, like the reincarnation research, like what's done at the University of Virginia, suggesting that if we are individual whirlpools in, within the stream, there's a recycling process, so to speak, and that there is memory and there are physical aspects that, be, that are transferred from one life to the other. If you combine that research with near-death experience research, like the life review, where people relive their lives and they get to see how they acted towards people, they get to feel the pain or the love that they, they gave to others, there seems to be an evolutionary aspect to our lives, evolutionary at the level of our consciousness. Yes. And we exist in different bodies as vessels to have different types of learning experiences. And I think that's, that's my very simplified way of looking at something that's probably way more complex than it actually you know, than I'm saying it to be, but I, I, it gives a framework that actually when I talk to people about it, they say that kind of makes sense because our lives do feel like they're evolutionary. We're always learning new things and we're growing. And so that's what I, I focus on in, in part of an end to upside down living. What is the, the path to spiritual development? And spiritual development really just means development of ourselves at the level of our consciousness. Are we, how are we evolving towards the state of unity? Some would call it unconditional love. And as I studied that process and learned more and more about it, I saw that there are many consistencies in it. So even though I might have the body of Mark Gober and everyone has different bodies and different life experiences, the ultimate direction is, is very similar, is that we're moving toward a place of unity and love ultimately. Yes. And what and what happens in that process? It's not a, it's not a straight line up. It's sort of like if you look at a stock chart over 100 years, the trend line is up, but it goes up and down a lot. Mm-hmm. Right, and, right. And that's one of the uh, consistencies when I've studied awakening stories, both historical, but also because in modern times there are many, many of them, where there is a process which uh, philosopher Ken Wilber, he says it's not just about waking up, which is this idea that we, we recognize that we're infinite consciousness, which, which I'm sure many of your listeners have gotten to that point. Yes. And then the embodiment of that, that's a big step. And many religious traditions and spiritual traditions, traditions work on that. But he says... It's not just about that. There's also a cleaning up process, meaning looking at our shadow, looking at the darkness within ourselves and, and acknowledging that it exists and clearing it and processing it. And there's also a growing up process. He says waking up, cleaning up, growing up. And to me, that's a very concise way of summarizing the spiritual awakening process that we all go through. We actually uh, now there it's much easier to have good communication with um, the upper level beings and, and find out from them how they view our lives on earth. And they tell us we come to earth to experience negativity. There is no negativity in where we spend our eternal lives. And people who are at our level of spiritual growth actually need the negativity, the bad stuff, um, which is lower vibration, the lowest vibration of consciousness. That's how we grow when we're at this stage. I think it's fascinating that basically they tell us that's the only reason there even is a universe, to give us a place where we can test ourselves against negativity and learn to surmount it and move toward love. 
You said it. I said the same thing, and they're saying it. People not in bodies are saying it now who really know what's going on. So it's so it's so inherently obvious that what the scientists are doing is wrong because they're ignoring the most important part of us, what we're, what's clearly the most important part of us. But you've studied um, the the development of our of our consciousness and how people are awakening. Tell us a little bit about what you've learned about it. The, the awakening process, I should start by saying, it seems to be never-ending. Yeah, and that would make true. sense. If we are yeah. infinite beings as part of an infinite consciousness, the idea of a finite end, that's, that's almost like a human construct. Yes. And so it's important to note that from the beginning because a pattern that I've seen in this process is that people can get to a point where maybe they have an incredible experience in meditation or they, ha- they had a near-death experience and they've experienced the unity in that moment. Yes. And then they say, well, I'm awake. <laughs> and that's it. And there, yeah. there's this idea that, well, I'm done at this point. But then there's still many other aspects to it. So the awakening right. process, I would say, is never ending. And we're constantly tested. And to me, it's, I like the, the yogic pathways, which I think can be applied to any tradition. And there are four pathways that I, I generalize because I like the way they can be applied beyond just, just the yogic tradition. Okay. One is known as karma yoga, which is selfless service. And these are pathways to awakening. If people are trying to awaken or want to focus their lives on it, focusing within these four pathways, I think, is one way to do it. So selfless service is one. Um, Bhakti yoga, which is the devotional path, and that can be just a devotional attitude toward the divine, could be chanting, prayer, things of that nature. Jnana yoga, which is the knowledge or wisdom path. And there's Raja yoga, which is more energetic, focused on the physical could be meditation or breathing or various things of, of that nature. So selfless service, devotion, knowledge, wisdom, and we'll call it energy broadly. Right. Those are the categories that typically, if someone is in an awakening journey, they might fall into one or more of those categories. And eventually what happens is that when people evolve to higher and higher levels, let's say they started in one path, the others will naturally swirl together because they, they seem to be aligned with this idea of a unitive consciousness that's made of love. If, if, that were, if that is the nature of reality, as we suggest, then it would make sense to want to have knowledge and wisdom about it and how it works. It would make sense to want to be devotional towards it. It would make sense to want to have selfless service because if we're interconnected, then just focusing on yourself, even though it's important, there needs to be an aspect of serving yeah. others. And then yeah. the energetic aspect is kind of the embodiment of all that. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's a totally different way from the way we approach it, but I, I think especially for people who are more active and more uh, sort of intense about it, there's a lot there to unpack and to live. I think that's wonderful. So you, you talk about the ego, too, and, and how, does, how does the suppression of the ego or, or conquering the ego, how does that relate to what you're talking about now? Well, the ego in this spiritual context could be defined as the sense of being an individual and the personality that goes along with it and all the quirks and the positives and the negatives that we experience while we're in a body. And the ego is, it's a vehicle for our evolution. So in that respect, it's an important part of our existence and it shouldn't be ignored. I think there's, there's some talk in spiritual circles about just wanting to completely transcend the ego and be the full oneness, which I think is part of the story too, is there's a transcendence, understanding that we're beyond the ego but then embodying that within the ego as an individual. 
So there is this, this process of kind of liberating oneself from feeling like an individual self and then almost reentering and being the fullness while within a body. Okay. So, so in, in the people that you have studied or, or people that you've watched develop, does the ego gradually sort of subside or take a, a back seat? Because so often the ego is the source of angers or the source of, because it is selfish. It's really based, it, its survival um, is, is, is it sort of the foremost thing it thinks about, which for us, since we're eternal beings, is not the same. Um, what has your experience been? Are people, do people end up making peace with their, with their ego or how does it go? It varies. So in some cases, it's very gradual where the person might look back and say two years ago, wow, I was very different in terms of the way I looked at my ego, the way I was more reactive. And now I feel like I'm more um, I'm not as bound to just my biology, for example. So you might see that gradual shift. And then other people will have major instances, whether it's a near death experience or often it could be in a spiritual practice, like in meditation or chanting or something like that, where they have some major experience where afterwards they they feel the unity much more and they're less beholden to their quirks or whatever negativity they had before they've somehow released it. Huh, okay. Now, you, you used some, some terms um, when we were emailing about this that I'd, I'd like you to briefly sort of share what they mean. What are lines of development as people are awakening spiritually? That is the term referring to Ken Wilber's waking up, cleaning up, and growing up. <laughs> okay, okay, and and this does this is this something people proactively do, or is, does it just arise out of uh, their spiritual development that they begin to do those things? Well, what Wilber argues is that some of the older traditions focus exclusively on waking up, and now that we know much more about psychology and how the ego works, just due to advances in science and thinking about human behavior within the last say, 100-plus years, we've learned that there are other aspects to our development, such as dealing with trauma and acknowledging that we have trauma. And then sometimes if it's unprocessed, that can come back to haunt us in some way because the universe will show us uh, through our life circumstances where we still need to grow. And what he's arguing, I think it's very important, is that there are these other aspects. In addition to waking up to our true nature, there are other lines of development which can be independent but also important to being a fully integrated whole. Okay. And what's a spiritual bypass? How does that relate to all of this? It's the idea that if we have darkness within ourselves, and I think this applies to the collective as well, if we collectively as have their darkness on the planet or in the universe, I think that has to be processed. It's part of the awakening journey to acknowledge where there's darkness or where there's trauma or where there's healing that needs to occur there can be a tendency in some spiritual circles to say, well, that's really dark. That's part of my past. It's part of the planet's past. I don't want to look at that. And so what I, I find in studying these journeys is it's very problematic to do this, even though there can be a tendency to want to, yes. because that darkness doesn't just go away unless it's fully processed. Oh, it's like having an abscess that you need to have drained them, that kind of thing. Oh, okay. And um, you you talk about the seduction of power. What's that? There's a story that I like to recount, and whether or not any individual story, I don't know if it actually happened, but this one I, I really like. Um, it's it's that of Dr. David Hawkins, who was a spiritual teacher. He died 
uh, about a decade ago. And he, based on his writings, it sounds like he reached very high levels of enlightenment where he experienced the oneness. And he talked about when he was nearing this, this very unitive state that he ultimately achieved, uh, he acknowledged that he was, he was everything because as our, our, our ultimate nature, we are full yes. infinite consciousness. He got to that point where he experienced that. And he said that there was almost like a knowingness that came to him, whether it was a non-physical being, it's unclear. But basically that, that energy said to him, mentally, you've transcended all of your personal karma. All power is yours. You can take it. And so he said it was like a test where he acknowledged, wait a second, I, I see what's being offered to me, but I am everything. And therefore, why would I need to have power over others? And he rejected this yes. temptation. Yes, that's great. That's <laughs> wonderful. I love it. That's and what he, what he said he was shown at that point is that there were many other spiritual beings throughout history who had faced the same temptation. He talked about seeing Jesus. He talked about seeing the Buddha who was tempted yeah. by the demon Mara, where they were tempted in their own way and they rejected the temptation. And that allowed them to reach a new level of consciousness. Yes. On the other hand, he says he was shown and he never has mentioned who these individuals were. Indiv people who took the, the temptation, they said, okay, I'll take the power. And he said it was basically a massive karmic fall for those beings. Oh my and I, I mention that because I think as we evolve, the, the tests can become greater. We become yes. stronger, but then we're faced with, with darkness that can counter it. Yes. Uh, so to be strong and to acknowledge these temptations, I think, is really important. And I get into some of this in, in the new book that I'm working on. Great. Because I, I think can't it, wait it, to see your new book. It, it's, a really, fun. it's really impactful, and it gets into power structures within the world. And you think about how, how people yeah. are seduced by power all over the place. Oh, in this context, yeah. in End Upside Down Living, it's more in the context of our individual spiritual awakening journeys where people are consciously focused on their development. Um, so it's important to acknowledge it there. But it happens also where people aren't consciously focused on their development, and they're seduced by power, and they're, they probably, oh, yes. in a karmic sense, it's very damaging to, to go on that path. That's right. Oh, for sure. Now, you, you give us a caution about spiritual teachers. What do people need to worry about in that, that area? I mention it because there can be a tendency, especially for people are, who are newer to the space, like me, it's only been a few years, to come across someone who's extremely experienced. Maybe that person has incredible abilities, too. Dr. Dean Radin's book, Super Normal, he talks about like some of the yogis or all the great yes. spiritual leaders. They develop... Uh, what are sometimes called cities in the yogic tradition, abilities that are miraculous, the ability to heal people, the ability to make things materialize, physical stuff coming out of nowhere. I mean, really paranormal things. And so that can seduce a student to say, wow, if, if that person, if he or she can do that, oh, then right. that must be it. And right, right. what I'm cautioning is uh, to say, just because someone is of that awakened state, there has to be some discernment from the student. And what there are many examples of quote-unquote, fallen gurus. Oh, yes. Who, who have elevated, but maybe they've taken that temptation of power, or maybe it's yeah. money, or maybe it's sex. Those are usually the three, power, money, and sex, that can seduce a guru, where they become less pure. So I, I wanted to mention that in the book, because for a student, there, there is a level of discernment. It's not just yes. to accept what we hear from every spiritual teacher. It's to really question, even though that person might be advanced in some way, we have to look holistically. And that's why for me, it's been helpful to look at many spiritual traditions and many teachers and find what overlaps. And if they're outliers, then to look at those a little bit differently, but to always question. 
Huh, that is an excellent summary. That's terrific. I'm so sorry we're coming toward the end of our time here, and I want to make sure that you get to say what you most want to say to people. What What do you hope those listening should will, will take away from our conversation today? What, what, what would you like to leave them with? Well, what's coming through as you ask that is this – well, our, the discussion we had today is so important, not only for our individual selves, but for the planet. Because when we oh, shift yeah. consciousness, we're shifting the whole field. Yep. So for me, when I when that hit, then that reprioritizes everything. So right. we can embark on this journey, and we can do it casually, or we can do it with conviction. And for me, it's turned into a real sense of conviction because the way I look at life now, I, I view the ultimate reality to be consciousness and therefore to evolve consciousness in whatever way we can. That's why we're here. So I would encourage all listeners to think about the level of conviction that they would want to put to something like this and what it what it means to them in their over, overall lives. Because that's what I have to think about for myself too, is what yeah. do I really, really care about and how much energy am I going to put towards that? Excellent. That's super. Well, one, one thing I want to make sure you do is just let me know, okay, this is when my book is coming out. Just tell me when. Okay. And we, because we're, we're booking people about six months ahead now, and I want to make sure that we get you in soon after it comes out because I'm excited about it. Obviously, you've done so much good work to now. I can't wait to see you do with, with, with what you do with spiritual development and all the associated things people have to think about. It's going to be a very good book. I'm excited about it. Thank you. So, meanwhile, please consider yourself hugged, and we'll be talking soon. Everyone, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm so glad you were with us today. And please, never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began, and you never will end. And when you really get what that means, it transforms your life for the better in so many ways. Next week, our guest will be Bob Gebeline. He's like Mark Gober. He's someone who had a very serious career. His was in software design before, before he just kicked over the traces and started to look at what is really going on. Bob did a lot of this work 50 years ago. The result, though, has been his wonderful recent book called Dirty Science, How Unscientific Methods Are Blocking Our Cultural Advancement. What a great title. And this is going to be another conversation very similar to the one we've had today, but this time with someone who is older than I am and who has spent a lifetime thinking about these things. It's, it's another way for us to look at what is the cultural, certainly the worst cultural problem we have today, and that is the fact that those we trust most have utterly betrayed us because they aren't even attempting to understand what is true both mark and bob have written beautiful books that are frankly they're what's in them is something everybody should know children should know and yet it's still being suppressed by mainstream scientists who claim without any evidence that they know what's going on. So please join us next week. I think you're going to love this. And this week, we've been talking with the young consciousness researcher and actually everything researcher, Mark Gober. And he's been with us for the fourth time, and he'll be back again with a new book soon. Mark is a very free thinker. He was a partner in a Silicon Valley investment bank and strategy firm, and he was doing all the serious stuff, but he became curious. And you heard him describe today how he became curious because he was hearing some things from people on the radio 
that, that just shifted his understanding of what was really going on. And he started to do the research. And, when, and I know what happens, too. When you do this research, it's like you tugged on the end of a string and a whole gigantic world opens up before you. His books are wonderful. They're very readable, and yet they're very accurate about what they tell you so that you can use them for educational purposes and entertainment at the same time. The first is An End to Upside-Down Thinking. That came out in 2018. In 2020, we had An End to Upside-Down Living. And both of these books provide convincing evidence that consciousness is not produced by your brain at all, but it is what the pioneering quantum physicist Max Planck said a century ago, it is primary and it pre-exists matter. That has to be true. When I invited Mark to join us again and tell us what's new with him, I asked him to propose that topic, and he proposed a topic which I'm excited to hear him say more about, which is spiritual development. That's the reason why we're here. That's not an area of expertise of mine. I have a very narrow way of looking at it. My my goal in life is to help people who are don't have a lot of time, are not interested in doing Eastern practices, just want to sort of ace this lifetime while they're you know paying the rent and raising the children and all of that. There's a way you can do that. But for many people, this is a trip. And Mark is going to help us, help us know what to do and how to do it so we can ace it that way too. My dear friends, you are a powerful, eternal being. You are eternal. There is no possibility you will ever cease to be. And the sooner you're certain about that, the sooner all the rest of your life is going to be nothing but joy. As you know, my own nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together, and soon The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus Taught. And if you want to talk about anything at all, any of my books or anything, you can always contact me through the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. I do answer every email. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net, which is our home. If you ever wonder where we are now or what our home is now, you just go to the radio tab on robertagrimes.com and we'll, we'll tell you what's going on now. If you enjoy these weekly conversations, you might also want to check out my blog at robertagrimes.com on Sunday mornings. I use these weekly blog posts to work through some of the same issues we talked about here, but often in more detail. There's a lively discussion there with, with commenters, and a lot of people will just send me an email with their private thoughts. Either way is fine. I just love the fact that more and more people are joining us each week to talk about what I've been talking about in my blog. I love doing this. Thank you, by the way, for the great, tremendous privilege of being in your life. I will never abuse it. I just want to help you in as few steps as possible to reach the certainty that you are eternal and there is nothing, nothing for you to fear. Meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy. Please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being and you, most of all in the entire universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything. <laughs>